Here at Dr. Bloom, we're excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope you enjoy today's message. It's so nice having you online with us today. And if this is your first time joining us, you've chosen a great Sunday morning to join us. We're kicking off with a brand new series called Disciple Shift. Now, just before I say a little bit more about this series, can I just mention, and I'm thinking, I'm speaking for both Fichar Park and for Doxodeo Central when I'm saying this, we really miss seeing all of your faces and uh, all of our prayers are going out to every single one that's in this family. And may God be with you. So, as I've said, we are diving into a brand new sermon series called Disciple Shift. Now, this is a series that we do every year in Doxodeo Bloemfontein where we really trust in God to shift the way we think about being a disciple of Jesus. And um, if you're wondering what the word disciple means, it's just a basic term to, to refer to a follower, someone that follows Jesus. That's a disciple. However, in our modern English world, this word follow has taken on kind of a different nature, a little bit different from what we are used to in the Bible. You know, today when you follow someone, many times it just means adapting or adopting that person's belief system or their theories. Like for instance, when I'm a follower of Karl Marx, I am a Marxist and that means I have accepted his belief system. Or if I'm a follower of evolutionism, well, that is me adapting a specific theory to the way the world came into being. However, when the Bible speaks of following and Jesus calls us to follow him, it is quite more radical than just changing the way we think. You see, Jesus means leave where you are physically, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You see, in following Jesus and being a disciple of Jesus, it's more than just a change in thinking or a change in doing but it's actually a process and a change in being. You see, when we follow Jesus, he changes who we fully are. So for this year's Discipleship Series theme, we've decided to go with the word metamorphosis, making that the focus. Now, you might ask what that means. Well, the definition of it, and I thought it was brilliant. It says metamorphosis is the process of changing the essential nature of something. Now, we all know how this, the result of this looks like um, by the example that's being given by a larva changing, metamorphing into a butterfly. However, maybe to describe and give an illustration of how this process might look in your life and in my life, the picture of an artist sculpturing out a beautiful sculpture might be a little bit better. We all know Michelangelo, probably one of the world's most famous artists to ever exist. And on your screen, you probably might see this picture of a beautiful sculpture that he's famous for, world famous sculpture of the David statue. I've taken the liberty of asking the guys to zoom in on this specific sculpture where you can clearly see the facial expressions and all the detail that Michelangelo has put into this sculpture. It's absolutely remarkable. And something interesting about this specific sculpture is that the block of marble that it was carved out of was actually a rejected block of marble. But in the hands of this masterful craftsman, 
he turned it into this beautiful vision that the world looks at today as probably one of the most famous and most renowned sculptures for most of us to look at. However, when you look at this, it's hard to think and to believe that it actually comes from something like this. Just a big block comes, and this beautiful sculpture comes out of that. What a transformation took place here. Michelangelo very famously mentions this, and he described his process of carving as the following. He says, it's his job to free the human form trapped inside of this block. Now, this sounds very much like Paul to me in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 18, when he writes the following. He says, and we all, that's you and me, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. The word there is metanoia, being metamorphosed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And Paul is getting to this idea that when God works in us, we are being transformed and he's changing the very nature of who we are. And over the next four weeks, we're going to look at four different shifts you and I need to make as being followers of Jesus to embrace this process of transformation in our life. As God, through his spirit, reveals Christ and we are being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. So today, we're going to spend some time on the first shift. And the first big shift you and I need to make as Christ followers to embrace this process of transformation, this metamorphosis that happens and takes place in our lives, is that we have to make the shift from our culture to Christ. I think this is something that might be very familiar for most of us, um, if you don't know it yet, you are definitely and most probably and most likely a disciple of your own culture. If you don't believe me, maybe just go on Facebook or maybe look at some photos from the past, let's say 20, 15 years back, and just look at your fashion or your hairstyle. Your sense of fashion and hairstyle has most likely changed quite drastically over the past few years. And sometimes, I think for myself and most of us out there, as we look at some of these images, we might think, how could I have ever worn that? What was I thinking? Well, let me tell you what you were thinking. You were thinking exactly what your culture asked you to think. And it brought some form of discipling change and transformation in our life. However, our culture can only bring a superficial surface level transformation. It's only Jesus that transforms us. He doesn't just change our clothes or what we wear. He actually changes the very fabric of who we are, our being, our nature. And in order for us to better understand what Jesus means when he's asking us to leave our culture, to shift from culture to Christ, we're going to look at a passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 18, a very famous portion of an incident where Jesus is encountering two specific guys and challenging them to leave their cultures behind. And I want us to read this together, and then we're going to walk through this and see how Jesus shows us how to make this shift. Matthew 8 verses 18 to 22, it says the following, 
Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea. Then a scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me and allow the dead to bury the dead. Now, as I said, in this portion of Scripture, Jesus is showing us how to make this shift from culture to Christ, to Him. And we see three things here. And I want us to reflect for the rest of our time together on these three things. Firstly, we see how counterculturally Jesus lived. Secondly, we see Him challenging us, His disciples, to do exactly the same. And then thirdly, we get a glimpse into how it's possible to make this shift. How are we empowered to do this through Jesus? So firstly, Jesus' countercultural lifestyle. In fact, it starts right at the beginning. It actually pops out to you as you read it. It's right here in Matthew 8 verses 18 where it says the following, Jesus saw a crowd around him and he gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm a leader, and that's kind of my job. And in my culture, when you are a leader and in society, you kind of aim to get a great and a big following around you. You want to get as many people to connect to you. You want crowds to be a part of your movement that you're starting up. And also you want to make it as accessible and as attractive as possible for people to join the movement. However, in this little story, we see Jesus acting in exactly the opposite way. The Bible tells us that there's a great crowd around him. And what's Jesus trying to do? Well, he's trying to depart from that crowd. He's trying to get away from them. And then we have these two examples of men coming to Jesus, showing their commitment, wanting to follow him. One super excited and one saying, just give me this little exception. I want to be following you. And Jesus kind of acts towards them very, very, I want to say the best word probably would be he's kind of harsh. He's kind of, I, I want to make it as difficult for you as possible to follow me. That's the impression we get when we read the story. How countercultural is that? When someone wants to join you, you make it as difficult for them to follow you as possible. As a leader, we would have expected Jesus to be a bit more sunny towards these guys. However, he was way more stormy. And that's kind of what we find with Jesus. This countercultural approach, when you expect him to be sunny, he's stormy. And when you expect him to be a stormy and a reaction, he is sunny towards these guys. It's clear to see that Jesus lived a countercultural lifestyle. He was living something out of this world. And he was challenging his disciples to do the exact same thing. So let's dive into that. How is it challenging you and me to leave our culture behind and embrace him fully, wholeheartedly with everything in us? Well, in the story, we get an example from two men. 
And the first man that we meet is here in verse 19, where it says, A scribe came to him and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, just quickly, two observations about this guy. Uh, I'd like to call him, let's call him the, the scribe or the religious leader. This guy, the Bible tells us, is a scribe, a religious leader, a man that really knew the scripture well. In fact, he most probably would have been a guy that would have memorized the Old Testament. He would have known every single portion of scripture. This is super crazy to think about. Because here's the thing. Wouldn't this be the perfect guy to have on your team? I mean, he knows the whole Old Testament and Jesus is bringing God's kingdom to this earth. I mean, this guy knows it all. He, is, he has great capacity. And secondly, to top it off, not just his capacity, he has a lot of commitment, or so it seems. I will go wherever you ask me. I will follow you wherever. But Jesus sees straight through this man's heart. You know, Jesus sees something in him that I think many times we very easily miss in ourselves. Jesus sees that this man's level of eagerness and willingness to come is not to follow him or to be committed to him. He's committed to his own commitment and he's not following Jesus. In essence, he wants to use Jesus. What do I mean by this? Charles Spurgeon tells this story as a short illustration to describe exactly what this religious leader is doing. He tells the story of a carrot farmer, a guy that was great at gardening, living in a big kingdom, and one day he got the opportunity to come before the king. And when he came to the king of this kingdom, he brought his greatest, his best, his biggest carrot before the king. And he said, king, here is my best carrot. I grew my best carrot just for you. I want to honor you. I want to love you. I want to bless you. I want to show how much you mean to me by giving you my best. The king was touched by this man's gift and his show of appreciation and honor and commitment towards the king. So as this gardener, this carrot farmer, made his way out of the king's presence, the king stopped him and said, well, you know what? I have another field, and I'd like you to have that field and grow great and wonderful carrots for me. The gardener was super excited and left the king's presence overwhelmed with this brand new gift of a whole new portion of land. But while this was happening, there was a nobleman in the king's courts, and he overheard the whole situation taking place. Then thinking to himself, well, if that is what you get when you give the king a big carrot, can you imagine what would happen when I give the king my best horse? So he decided it settled. The next morning he took one of his best horses, actually the number one, he was breeding with horses, so he took his most best and his thoroughbred black stallion to the king. And he said, king, here is my best horse thoroughbred black stallion and I want to give it to you as an appreciation and acknowledgement and honoring you for who you are and what you've done. You're such a great king. The king saw straight through this nobleman's heart's motives. He thanked the man and he sent him off. This nobleman 
looked at the king, perplexed, question mark on his face. What just happened? The king sees this question mark and he answers the nobleman saying, let me explain. You, you were thinking you're going to come here giving me a horse. But let me tell you, the carrot farmer gave me the carrot, but you were giving yourself the horse. And that's what Jesus discerns within this scribe. Someone that comes from a very religious culture. And that's in essence what religious culture is. It's kind of abusing and using things for your own selfish gain. You're not giving up. You're not giving everything. And Jesus answers him. He responds and he says, when you follow me, one of the things you have to do is you need to give up everything. Every sense of safety and security. You don't have home. You have nothing. It's me and me only. You give up it all. That's our first man, challenging us to leave a religious culture behind and embrace Christ. The second challenge um, comes from a man that I'd like to call a halfway disciple. The Bible tells us that there is another disciple that came to Jesus and he's asking Jesus to permit him this one exception. He's saying, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. Now, I mean, if you read this for us, for you and for me, this might seem on surface level like a very reasonable request. And especially the fact that I'm calling him a halfway disciple implies that he kind of want to follow Jesus, but not full way. And, I, and, and if you're listening to what I'm saying, you might be thinking, well, aren't you a little bit harsh? Isn't Jesus a little bit strong and harsh on this man when he's not allowing him to go and bury his own father? But for us to understand this better, and, and, and I want to quickly read you a little portion out of a commentary that sheds some light on what's actually busy happening here. We need to understand and dive into the culture of the day. So a commentary on this, um, one specific verse mentions the following. It says, on the surface, this seems like a very reasonable request. However, this was a cultural idiom for staying home and taking care of one's parents as long as they lived. It was a social obligation. This man wanted to fulfill a social obligation. What's the commentator trying to get to here? Unfortunately for so many of us that lives in a secular, modern, individualistic culture, we struggle to grasp and, and see what's happening here. And we need to take note of the fact that Jesus lived in what we would call today a very traditional culture which is the predominant culture in the world. Um, uh, pr primarily practiced African, Africans have adopted this culture, Middle East, um, all the way up into the Eastern world. We see a very traditional view of culture. Now, unlike a traditional view, in the Western world, we find significance in our life by chasing our desires. You know, when I have that position, when I have so many possessions, when I am successful and I've reached these achievements, everybody will look at me as someone of worth. I will have significance in life. So we give and work our way towards significance by following our desires. However, in a traditional culture, it's quite the opposite. You see, in a traditional culture, we find our significance by fulfilling our duty to our community. Community is everything. Community is the be all and end all. 
in that culture. In fact, in Africa, they would say, you exist because of the community. And here Jesus touches on a nerve. Because this man is actually asking Jesus, before I follow you, I just first want to fulfill my duty to my community. I will follow you, I will honor you, but I first want to create a space, a place of honor for myself in my own culture. And how does Jesus respond? Well, he's saying, let the dead bury the dead. What's Jesus getting to? He's saying, if you're going to put your culture first, if you're going to follow culture before me, whether it's traditional, whether it's secular, whether it's um, community-driven, and whether it's individualistic of nature, whether it's about your own desires that you run after, and we know so many times where that ends up, you're going to end up dead. If you're looking for life there, you'll never find it. Follow me. I am your life. So in this story, we see Jesus challenging us to leave religious culture and even worldly cultures behind and embrace him. Because when we follow him, he's the only one that can change us. And if you've been following what I've been saying and how Jesus is taking us through this portion of scripture, you'll probably be saying to me right now, well, how is that possible? This is, this is unthinkable, Lorraine. This is, this is, I, I won't be able to do this. Where do we get the, the courage? Where do we get the power and the resources to follow Jesus as radically as this? Maybe the best way to look at this, and I think the best verse to sum it up is our, is our key verse for the series, 2 Corinthians 3.18, where Paul says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. It's in the beholding of the glory of the Lord that we are being transformed. You see, here's the key. What you behold, you will become. And Paul says, as we behold Christ in his glory, it starts to transform the very nature of who we are. What am I trying to say in essence? Well, for the first man, Jesus starts a conversation about a home. You know, your home is a place of security, place of safety, place of belonging. That's one of the things religion gives us. Gives us a place of security, a home, a place where everybody would accept us if we speak the right things and we do the right things. As long as we do this, we are accepted. We have a, a sense of security. And Jesus is actually in a sense busy saying to this man, I am your home. The Son of Man doesn't have a place to lay his head. Why? He doesn't need something else to give him security because he is your security. He is your security and my security. And as disciples, we need to make that shift, not look in it for a religious culture, but find our security in Jesus, our belonging in him. To the second man, as I've mentioned, Jesus has a conversation about death. Why? Because he's making the invitation that he is life. And it's when we see Jesus as being our home, our place of belonging, our security, and when we see Jesus as being our life and not our culture, it's in that moment that your heart truly starts desiring what it's been screaming out for the whole time. And it's Jesus. So, in this next here, 
as we trust in God to transform us, as we embracing His work that He's doing, chipping off, bringing out the human being trapped inside of that block, as we trust in God to come and do a miracle in us, let's embrace Christ and shift from our culture to the King of Kings. I want to pray for us, and then after this, there's going to be a worship song. And I want to ask you to maybe reflect on areas in your culture that Jesus might be challenging you to leave behind and embrace Him. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this here and we look at this invitation of beholding You and You transforming us into the person that we were born to be, to be your child, that we would look more and more like your son, Father. I pray that as we're going to listen now to this next song, Holy Spirit, that you would come and work in our hearts, that you would come and unveil, that you would come and show us the truth of where we were maybe trusting a counterfeit, a counterfeit security, a counterfeit portion of promise of life that's in our culture instead of trusting in your word saying that Jesus is my life. He is my home. He is my place where I belong. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.